Welcome back to the Game of Thrones Flashcast as we walk back through early episodes of Game of Thrones. I'm Jason Snell. In this episode, we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 3, Lord Snow. And joining us, joining us, joining me is us. It's Monty Ashley. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Jason. How does this work? And Brian Hamilton. Hello. Tell me, Jason, who was your first? Uh, first... Oh, oh, you're a psychopath. You mean first kill. I see. Yes. Right. <laughs> I didn't want to say first kill because I wanted to see where you would get, take the joke. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, it's like, well, he could. Oh, I know who this per- who Who's asking? Oh, in that case. <laughs> well, uh, Lord Snow, of course, refers to Jon Snow, who is being, it is not intended kindly because he's, uh, uh, he's a fancy lad, but also a bastard. And they want to remind him of that when he goes to the wall. Um, but first, I feel like we must talk about all the things that happen in King's Landing, or at least as many as we can remember, because this episode, this is, I don't know, we'll see as we rewatch, might this be the densest episode <laughs> of Game of Thrones? There is, I think it is. So there, much happens. They lay so much track for stories that matter and for stories that don't. It is, I, I, I got about halfway in, it's about an hour runtime, and at, at, um, I was like, how much time is left? And I was literally 29 minutes in. I was like, oh my God, it, that, that was, all of this happened in half an episode. There's so much there. There's so many characters we meet and so much background. A lot of it, I think, artfully done, but it's still like huge amounts of information that are being downloaded here. I think it's it's comparable to when there's a mild spoiler to something on Twitter and people who have seen the thing are like, ah, don't spoil that. But then people that haven't seen the thing don't know it's a spoiler because it's so small. Yeah. I feel like looking back years later and rewatching these early episodes, we see all these things that are laid out before us and we, we meet all these characters. We see all these new things established. But for people who are just watching, I think it feels like a Game of Thrones episode, just a standard one of the three Game of Thrones episodes you've seen so far, because it's just that th- that same pacing and all the same characters you've known so far, just doing more of the same stuff. But they add so many more characters, like, here's the small council. Now you have to learn who Varys and Littlefinger and Pycelle and as many as two other people are <laughs> uh, Renly, Renly. I think Lord Renly's in there yeah Renly yeah yeah it's um at the time okay at the time I had read the books so I I picked up on some of it but I feel like it goes pretty well where there's almost like this um holographic storytelling thing where you know you're able to accept it and be like okay and then but on a rewatch it expands where you're like, oh, it is all there. It was all there all along. I just didn't notice, which, uh, you know, I think it, it's serving book readers and also people who are doing a rewatch who can and see all those little details. Because I, I felt that a lot of the, a lot of this episode is characters explaining the world to other characters in not unreasonable ways. It's not, you know, as you know, Bob, there's a king and, you know, it's not, it's not quite, <laughs> quite that, but there is still a lot of, a lot of information. Um, yeah. The let's see. So so this episode basically starts. Ned arrives at King's Landing. He's made it, and so now it's going to be you know this guy from the north has been brought down here to a place where he's not comfortable. The first thing that he's basically told is, "Are you sure you don't want to change into something more appropriate? Um, because your traveling clothes are just not good enough for the fancy city." Um, Do we ever see palm trees in King's Landing again? 
because that was that stuck out like a sore thumb to me. I don't know. They shoot this in Croatia, I think. I think. But, um, which probably has palm trees, but, um, like Dubrovnik, I think, in Croatia is where this is shot. But, yeah, it may be that that was not something that they picked up on because they wanted to hold that back for, like, Dorn or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just, I'm, like, I'm even fr- though they are they are there, they're like, no, 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 we're going to save that visual signature for another location. Um, there might be when the, uh, Sept of Baylor blows up. Oh. That's a big wide exterior shot. Really? Huh? Palm trees at the Sept of Baylor? Okay. Oh, um, no, I mean <laughs> you see you see the explosion from a distance. Right. So like right the, before Tom and goes out the window. There are the there palm are trees. spoilers in this. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Hello, people don't listen if you are waiting to see what is uh to come because uh, but, we've seen it all. But you see enough of King's Landing that I wouldn't be surprised if there were some palm trees in that shot. Could be. Why? This is the palm trees in in, uh, Game of Thrones podcast. I didn't expect us to go in that direction. We see the Iron Throne in this episode. There's a lot of time spent in there. We had some banner or banter with uh, Jamie Lannister. uh, That again, this is one of these download scenes. Trying the show is trying to establish to us a few things here. It is the history of Robert's Rebellion and the fact that they overthrew the Mad King. So Jamie talks about you know. I was here when you, your father and brother, Ned, were burned alive. Nobody deserved to die like that, to which Ned responds, you just stood there and watched. And he says, me and 500 other people, um, you know, which... Well, so so the immediate thought I had is, I think this is interesting because what Jamie is doing two things here. He is justifying, he's being incredibly self-serving as like, but I'm the Kingslayer. I took care of it, right? But I, even though I didn't uh, before, and also the condemnation, the decadence of that society and perhaps the the Royal Society in uh, Westeros in general, that they uh, nobody said anything while this king did whatever he wanted. But this is also the beginning of what I think is one of the weirdest subplots in Game of Thrones, which is that everybody's furious at Jaime for being the Kingslayer. Mm-hmm. Ned cannot let it pass that he killed his king, even though it was in service of a rebellion that Ned was in. Well, and the show interrogates him on that point too which i think is interesting like ned's like aha but you didn't kill him and then and then turns around and says and then you stabbed him in the back later and i really like jamie's response which is would it have been better if i stabbed him in the front (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) like like robert takes shots at him people are constantly taking shots at jamie and jamie feels bad about something that we are presented as being practically the only good thing anyone's ever done in the entire continent I feel like there's something that uh, we get with Jamie here and we get with Picel in the next episode, which we're not talking about now. But it's there is one of the undercurrents in the Stirring King's Landing is you had this revolution. You had the overthrowing of the old king and the placing of a new king on the throne. But you still have some people who were around then, Varys also. But, uh, you know, especially you see it with Jamie and, and Picel. And there is this distrust uh even though jamie ended up killing the king there's a distrust of people who were working with the king also you know jamie's still on the king's guard because he's theoretically on their side but one he's a lannister so they don't trust him and two if you're the king do you trust the guy who killed the last king like he's, that he's the still guy there? that made you king robert is a total hypocrite on this point well <laughs> but also he could kill you and make someone else king like so so there's a I, I agree 
it is fascinating that that duality i think is fascinating about jamie is like he was our ally but only at the end he killed the king but now i'm the king and he killed the king like there's this they don't trust the lannisters from the very beginning of the show like everybody's like yeah the lannisters are on our side but and it's all it's all wrapped up in this this scene with ned and jamie it's a great scene i really love it because it is it's just all out there you served when it was easy he says to jamie at one point I've always read Jamie's uh, attitude toward and everyone's attitude toward Jamie about it as the fact that somebody had to do it, but now we know Jamie has it inside him. You know, you, you know that he can be pushed to the brink to do the thing that nobody wants to do or people think shouldn't be done. See, I think that Ned is so bound up in honor that he would rather Jamie have stood by his insane king because he was in the king's guard and yeah, yeah he doesn't think jamie should be allowed to turn on his king the way he ned decided he could there's also the argument that jamie deprived them of the justice of yeah. finding and killing the king right he ended it almost prematurely at that point when presumably the rebellion would have continued and they would have killed the king eventually. So that might be part of it too. I do think as we think, as we look to uh, the last season of Game of Thrones, because we're recording this after all but the last season has aired, that Jamie being one of the most fascinating characters in the show, like I think this is part of Jamie's character, which is he is a lot of the, a lot of what the show is about is sort of like what does being a Lannister mean and you see with Tyrion how how he goes on a path and betrays his family and you see what happens to Cersei which you know there's a lot there and then Jaime is interesting because Jaime loves his sister he does all these things that are like you know I'm going to support the family I love my sister and yet we know that at, after a long delay when push comes to shove he he's had enough and he feels yeah. like he has to do the right thing the, the phrase, when push comes to shove, makes me laugh well, when it's applied sorry, to Brand. Jamie. <laughs> yeah. but, but you see what I mean? Like, like yeah, yeah. Is, is his abandonment of Cersei at the end of season, what, seven? Um, is that not a little bit like he waited and waited and waited and waited with the Mad King, and then finally he's like, okay, I can't do this. And like, too, a <laughs> little too late, but better late than never. Because well, in, in this episode, he, he mentions how everybody who is not a Lannister is their enemy. No, that's Cersei. Uh, he, he mentions that um, he would kill everyone who is not them just so that they can be the last people right. left standing on Earth. And I, I like to think that... He, he is self-serving enough that he will uh, he he will keep people in his life until they don't serve him very well anymore. And... Once he realizes that Cersei is more toxic in his life than he would get out of it, if that makes sense. I, I feel like his development is realizing that he is his own person and does not need Cersei as much as he needs, you know, his family name. But it's take it takes a very long time, just as it does when he's watching um the Mad King burn all those people, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> there's, there's a big I, pile I think the of implication bodies. is that Jamie knows what I I, the, what I like to think is Jamie knows what the right thing is to do, and he's too weak to do it until he's absolutely forced to. Um, is sort of how I would read it. That I think he, mm. I think that's the condemnation of Jamie is that unlike some other bad people, Jamie knows the right path to take, and he just won't. He just won't take it, or is reluctant 
too reluctant to take it until it's very late in the game. But that may also be the great thing about him is that he he stays he's in a unique position to end things. And I don't know whether that will come to pass in the last season of Game of Thrones or not. But I feel like his place in the end game is incredibly important because of his role that that gets echoed here. Um, Monty and again, I am go- savoring every single bit of banter between Ned and other characters. So seeing Jamie and Ned together was such great. a great scene. I'm I'm cherishing all of them. Get it while you can. We're we're <laughs> a what uh, three episodes out of what eight? I think for Ned eight or nine. So get it while you can. Uh, the small council, which Monty already mentioned. So we see Renly, who of course is uh, is going to be. He's what Brienne's. Um, buddy and uh, he gets killed by a shadow later uh we get we get Littlefinger and Varys we get Meister Pycelle those are three guys who are playing the game uh Ned discovers that the crown is six million in debt which is a uh will the Iron Bank and things like that will keep coming back that the Lannisters have been loaning them money so he discovers that the situation is kind of grim and that he thought John Aaron would take care of this but um, Robert is spending money like a drunken, well, not sailor, like king, drunken king, yeah. which is what he is. So he's spending money like himself, basically. Oh. Knowing the characters as we do so far down the road, Ned is just hilariously out of his depth as the guy allegedly in charge of oh, yeah. this table. Like Littlefinger and Varys, they're so much better at this than he oh. is. It's so sad, Ned. Isn't that the, I mean, I feel like that's the whole story here is that the society is corrupt and he's been brought in because he's a buddy and trustworthy, right, of of the king, but he knows nothing about the inner workings of King's Landing and this is is how the system works. It is, uh, oh no, oh no, it's the deep state. Oh no. It doesn't seem entirely ethical for the Lannisters to be loaning money to the kingdom, but I guess that's how this uh, country works. Yes, I guess. And I like that you've got the three different, um, ma- you know, spy machination behind yeah. the scenes guys who are all kind of like out they're working with slash out to get each other in Pycel, Varys and Littlefinger here. Um, they're playing their own versions of the game of Thrones, I guess. Um, but yeah, Ned is just completely in over I mean, his head. The first thing that happens is, uh, we're supposed to have a tournament. Ned says, we're not having this tournament. Uh, cut to the tournament. Yeah, King wants it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I like that they establish his... Uh, dominance is the wrong word. I, I like that they establish his role in the meeting much later than they should have because there's this really great tense scene about uh financial situations in the kingdom and ned freaks out and then it ends with oh sorry i've been uh i've been riding for so long and someone says no no we serve at your leisure so if someone had told him that before maybe he would just call the meeting off and i love that they delayed that until the right dramatic moment to be like okay this is your meeting we're just here for you yeah, Grandmeister Pycelle really doesn't have the authority to declare this meeting anymore, does he? <laughs> no, he doesn't. Mm. Nice. Um, we get a scene with Cersei and Joffrey, which is another download scene, but it's also really interesting character-wise. She basically gives Joffrey all the ways that he can rationalize what an evil, sadistic bastard he is and how he deserves <laughs> to be that, um, including the uh, amazing exchange where she says, look, if you don't like, you'll marry Sansa, but if you don't like her, that's fine. You can 
um, you know, you can, whatever gets you off, you only have to see her and father children with her. Everything else, you can do whatever you want. You're, you'll be the king, uh, which is a really healthy thing, again, to tell your uh, teenage son. Um, Good job editing that, Jason. That was really impressive. Yeah, well, I mean, I wrote down the line, and it's great, and I could say <laughs> it, but it, it is, I mean, like... I want a, a I want a dirty. piece of I want a piece of stained glass that says if you want to fuck painted whores fuck painted whores because that's like I mean mother to son what could be more beautiful than that um and I my note here is that I think this is a this is in the category of a great way to do exposition right because Circe is has a legitimate reason to educate her son on how the world works and how everyone who isn't a Lannister is our enemy. And, you know, this is how it all works, but it, because he doesn't know, cause he's just a kid, but he's going to be the King. And so we get how the world works and her view of the world. And it's super dense in terms of information, but it's also, I think really effective. Like again, mm-hmm. it's not an, as you know, Bob, it's a, you need to know how this works. Evil Joffrey. And, uh, and also you get to see sort of, Oh, this is why the world is the way it yeah. is. <laughs> and it's full of great lines. Like, my, the one I wrote down was, someday you'll sit on the throne and the truth will be what you make it. Mm-hmm. So, all right. <laughs> I understand the point of view of all the characters in this scene. We're doing great. Yep. I like that they give character reasons for there to be as-you-know-bobs in the show. Because they, they need to explain it to someone. They make it have an emotional payoff. And they give really great reasons for these kinds of information downloads to happen. Uh, I, I really... When, when I think back to the early seasons of Game of Thrones, I think about the all the tension between things like do the white walkers exist do they not are the lancers really terrible are they not and all of these things that i remember being so ambiguous are really really in text and really confirmed mm. in these moments these moments where like uh where, where cersei gives joffrey the rundown of how the world can be his and how crass she is and how disgusting it, it's like ugh, it's oh. such a hard scene to watch and i love it's... that they, they they still make it dramatically interesting without making it feel forced now um so so catelyn stark comes to King's Landing extremely briefly. She's intercepted by Littlefinger. Um, he then connects Ned with her, and Ned says goodbye to her. And is <laughs> this the last time they're together? The, the, Ned wh- and Cat. Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah. When, when he says goodbye to her, there it, it's super like the way it's shot. It's like super dramatic. Like they will never see each other again. I think this is the last time. But yeah, she just, I, I completely mean, forgot they met up again in this episode. It's a long way to go, and then she just turns right around when she gets there. She does not hang around in King's Landing at all. It's a very <laughs> sudden uh, pivot that happens with Cat. Well, she's not crazy about Littlefinger's inexplicable decision to hold all of their meetings in a brothel. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, she and Ned are real clear about not liking that. Mm-hmm. Something I wanted to bring up during the small council scene, Littlefinger's first line in the series is, oh, hi, nice to meet you. I'm Littlefinger. Uh, I'm sure Catelyn must have mentioned me. Like, his very first line establishes his relationship to Cat. He is very on game. He is, especially in these first few episodes where they have to drum it into your head, he really likes Cat, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't care who knows it, even her current husband. (laughs) Yep. Mm. Yep. Um couple other notes here before we move away from king's landing um meister picel is in several scenes julian glover and what i really love about it is 
I now having seen it the first time, right? I know what's coming, which is the, it's like they do all of these scenes with Pycelle, and every time he talks, he's a little bit doddery, and then he's like very like slowly moving out of the room, and he's limping, and he's just a very sickly old man, which is hilarious when you know that it will be revealed later that it's all an act and that he's actually pretty spry. I don't know if you guys remember that, but it's coming. Mm-hmm. It's great. And here, I just, every time Julian Glover is very slowly shuffling off camera at the end of a scene, I'm like, it's, oh, what a fake. What a faker. It's great. It's great. But it- uh, my favorite thing that is in King's Landing is Arya's uh, fencing master, who I did not realize was this early in the series. Yeah, Serio like, Florel, the dance I, teacher who calls I her love boy. Him. And My favorite character in this first season is, is so good. It is great. And we get that where she gets her first lessons in fighting because, of course, her father, if she's going to have Needle, the sword, um, then she, he needs, she needs to learn to, fl- to fight, right? She, she and needs to come with that. the pointy end. Mm-hmm. Ned watching her start to learn. At first, he's proud of her. And then he starts to hear metal on metal instead of wood on wood. And mm-hmm. he, he looks concerned because I think he thinks he's foreseeing her death. He's foreseeing his own man. Oh. <gasps> Wait, Ned dies? What? Damn it. You spoiled everything. <laughs> everybody dies, Brian. Whoa. Not everybody. Um, I'll reveal I'll reveal more <laughs> the later. The series anyway, is not over spoilers. yet. I'm still going through and seeing, oh, they're dead, they're dead. They yeah, make it to season oh, five, man. and then they die. <laughs> so um, one more thing I wanted to mention. Uh, we get uh, uh, Barristan the Bold and King Robert, and it's the, who? what was your first kill? Uh, sad sack Lance Lannister appears and is abused verbally by the king. Um, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, Robert lay in track for the important season one plot surrounded by lannisters everywhere i look i see there and then he practically turns to the camera and says in a louder voice blonde hair mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then jamie comes in and, and it, he does like did, did the king again talking about him being the king slayer did the king say anything you know when you when you killed him what did he say and he says you know what he what he'd been saying for hours burn them all <laughs> that's weird yeah that's a, weird a little couple too of- dark for this death conversation <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird couple of hours before somebody finally does something i feel yeah. like yeah burn them all burn them all burn them all anyway it's like, <laughs> been saying that for 20 minutes and i'm going to sit here for another three hours before i do something <laughs> again another ambiguous thing that i thought was more ambiguous but the fact that robert hates the lannisters is pretty textual and pretty confirmed in this scene yeah, yeah. well i mean he he and cersei obviously don't get along and um he is uh, happy to as you know seriously tells joffrey like you're the king you can do what you want um but of course she's also done what she what she wants to do which is have children with her brother instead of the king so and claim that they're the kings oh so so many complications in game of thrones let's go briefly to winterfell there's like a 
couple of scenes there and it's really that Bran is awake but doesn't remember anything we get more downloads here and again even this is a little bit more as you know bob i love this because it's <laughs> old nan and she's sitting there talking to Bran, and she tells the whole like old wives tale of oh in the long winter because uh aria is also referred to as a long summer child in this episode and so there's this, yes. definitely you get the whole thing like you don't remember what winter is like but the winter is coming and here we hear about the story of the long winter that she tells and and the white walkers and all of these things that are like, ooh, spooky ghost story told by a, a spooky old lady, except we know it's totally true. I had forgotten that, oh, you sweet summer child was from something <laughs> <laughs> like that phrase is just a part of the world for me now same so yeah hearing her say that was really startling to me i think i think it's you know it's a a common uh phrase but it is much more meaningful in it's made meaningful in game of thrones because the oh, idea yeah. is that you you like aria is old enough to be you know she's whatever she is 10 years old or 12 years old or whatever it's been a nine year summer so she can't be a lot over nine right okay but this is the idea is like on this world and if you don't know if you aren't reading the books you don't know this like the seasons are weird and it's been summer for nine years and that's like that, that's interesting and then you get the flip side which is but what about the long winters and that's really bad too unless you're john roderick anyway that was nice. a, that was Thank a reference thanks um, for that one <laughs> and the other scene here is that brand uh, rob ta- talks to bran and bran is super sad about not uh, being able to walk and says i'd rather be dead uh which is a bummer and that's really all we get in winterfell in this in this episode it's pretty short yeah yeah um, so much happens in King's Landing. <laughs> there are some other things, though. Uh, we'll, we'll go to the wall next, because, of course, it's the name of the episode, Lo- Lord Snow, uh, in which Jon Snow learns a lesson. He's at the wall. Tyrion's at the wall. There's a lot of fighting. There's some bad news via Raven. Or is it good news? Who knows? Bran's awake. Um, Jon is making friends, by which I mean everybody is hating him and threatening him Ooh. and beating him up. And he's at, and Tyrion has to save him when he's like in the stables and the guys are... are are uh they're gonna beat him up or kill him or something who knows what but nothing good and Tyrion. that ta- scene is peak Tyrion. And, i love and, it and Tyrion so just much. talks him out of it by threatening them with his presence basically my sister is the queen everyone leave <laughs> yep i do kind of feel that the training scenes at the wall are a little cliche like, absolutely sure here's here's the boot camp instructor he hates our hero for some reason yeah yeah i mean this is the i feel like i and this goes on until the next episode too but like because roderick thorne is the is the guy who's in charge right of the not of the night's watch but of the recruits of the new people and he is yes he is your uh drill sergeant at boot camp kind of but what i like about roderick thorne is that he's not wrong like he's frustrated that they get these sad people who are not any use to him as far as he's concerned in terms of fighting. Um, he's he's not wrong in in saying you got to be able to fight and you got to do better and you got to you, you know. But he's such a jerk about it. He I, could try training them, which he does not at which any he, point no. do any of. Again, reinforcing the fact that not the best, the best and the brightest don't go to the Night's Watch. Yeah. Like he like, he's he's well, he, you know, we he's see, just being a jerk. We see extras. Guys in the background are practicing their attacks and blocks with swords. Yeah. We don't mm-hmm. see any of that for the named characters. It's just, uh, attack him. Uh, I know. Just attack him. <laughs> Do yeah. it again. All right. You're done. 
Yep. Yeah, what is that? It's your own fault. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, my note here is turns out the Night's Watch sucks. That's yeah. this is what John learns in this episode <laughs> is John apparently never asked anybody what the Night's Watch is really like, not even his uncle. And so what he gets here is the discovery that it's uh terrible and yeah. he's stuck with it now for the rest of his life. Although there's a great the, his journey here is that what he says at one point John says they hate me because I'm better than them. And it's like uh, and I think it's in the next episode that his uncle will say, um, no, that's not how it works here. You have to earn it. But here, John is, you know, he's just like, I'm, I, I'm better than these, these ragtag, you know, rejects and, uh, no wonder they hate him. <laughs> Yeah, and they mentioned earlier, uh, Jon Snow was raised in a castle being all yeah. nimby-pimby and oh, no. things, and you, you're better than him, right? It, it is in this episode. In this episode, he t- he takes the elevator up to the top of the wall, and Ben Jen is there and says, I wanted to be here when you saw the north for the first time, the north of the wall. But he also gives him the speech, which is like, a man gets what he earns when he earns it. It's good advice for Jon, who needs to hear it, because he's been, you know, his attitude has been bad. Even though he's a, you know, he's not a jerk like some of these other guys, he's, he's had a bad attitude. He's not, he thinks of himself above this even though he yeah. is just a bastard um although monty did you get the great thing that benjen says to john as they're uh, wrapping up their conversation i did not he says we'll speak when i return oh fantastic uh my notes on benjen were just that was something i would have liked to have them lay a little more track on yeah because when he comes back wow who the heck is that guy yeah yep yeah, yeah, that Benjamin thing. I mean, that, that in the source material, it's like that too. But yeah, it would have been nice to see sort of like to see a little more Benjamin before he disappears, and maybe like have him still be in the conversation or get a sight of cold hands or whatever. And it kind of just uh, he's gone so quickly and then does not return for many years. So it's yeah, like once a year, maybe a mention of Benjamin. Oh, there's another character that went away. His name was Benjamin. That, that would have been nice. See now, Brian, I think maybe peak Tyrion in this episode is, uh, when he's talking to Yorin in the, uh, in the, uh, um, mess hall and, you know, says we're, you know, you think we're an army of jesters in black, and Tyrion says, well, you don't have enough people for an army, and only Yorin here is funny. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, we also have to learn the names of all the people at the wall. I don't right. think we actually get their names. We no, mostly hear, like, not. Pip, and we know Samwell right. is going to be important, because, yeah. you know, fat sidekicks with a name starting with Sam, that's a fantasy staple. You always pay attention to those guys. <laughs> Solid. You gotta, you, gotta, you gotta take your notes there. Anyway, what happens, yeah. though, is that John does turn around... Um, he is, uh, he's trying to, oh, uh, Tyrion's going to take Yorin with him to the south. Um, but, uh, John, John turns around and is, he's trying to teach these guys fighting. He's trying to help them because he got instruction. So he's trying to pass it on and be a better Night's Watch guy, which that's nice. Um, and then they, before Tyrion leaves, it's time for the college recruiter talk, which is, um, we got a lot of, or, or the I need government funding talk, maybe. It's the uh, Wildings are saying that they're White Walkers. It's super scary. We need recruits. This is Meister Eamon and uh, Lord Mormont. And Tyrion is, you know, like, doesn't he, he doesn't believe in whatever they were in the, the title of the last episode. Snarks and Boojums or whatever they are. So, um, Grumpkins. Yeah, Grumpkins. That's right. 
Uh, anyway, uh, so they, they tell him we really need to, you need to send us some better people because we're the only ones standing between the uh, spooky supernatural monsters and the rest of the world, and the world is not ready to hear that yet. And then the last scene we have at the wall is Tyrion doing his famous, well, I've come all the way to the wall, so there's only one thing I really need to do, which is piss off the edge of it. Which That's he- peak. Tyrion. <laughs> and all the only other um, thing is john john says uh tell tell bran i miss him if you see him which uh but by the way T- Tyrion doesn't do <laughs> in the next episode just so you just so you're prepared emotionally that he doesn't actually do that even though he has the opportunity he doesn't relay that message I've, from john snow i've complained a lot about how we know there are white walkers and seeing so much tension between the characters is there white walkers are there white walkers no there aren't yes they are no they're not i've complained about that tension and how it makes no sense to me because we know for a fact as viewers that there are white walkers and i'm starting to come around on that opinion because it's it means different things to all of the characters i love that scene with Tyrion where he insists oh there's no white walkers and there's a really great tension between them about it. it it's not whether or not they exist because we know that they do but it's how it affects the relationships between the people in the show and i'm starting to come around on that well brian that is of course one of the three classic types of irony this one is dramatic irony where the audience (laughs) knows something that the characters do not hang on let me take take some notes uh this is dramatic irony thank you and what's the next one uh, verbal irony, that is when the <laughs> spoken uh, words are the the meaning is the opposite of the literal definition. And Socratic irony, of course, is when you ask a question intending to lead a sucker to the correct answer. That one never works online. Stop trying it. All right. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just, they spend so much time on this one conflict. And my favorite payoff in the show is when they drag the freaking White Walker. Again, spoilers if you listen this far. No. Uh, when they drag the White Walker into King's Landing, and it's brilliant. The um, last stop on this episode is across the narrow sea, where we can, we're going to check in with the horse people. Um, Daenerys tells the horse people to stop. Her stupid brother is really angry. <laughs> um, but this what is the idiot. moment where we really get like, they are following her. She is the queen. She is the Khaleesi. Um, there are, there's a great moment where, as my notes say, well, the shoe is on the other foot now, huh? Like, Viserys, <laughs> she's like nobility of the horse people, and you're just her dumb old, you're like her Billy Carter. You're, that's yeah. a reference. You're just the dumb brother. <laughs> they don't really care about you. They care about her. You've maybe miscalculated how much you mistreated your sister, and now you've unlocked the power of the of the dothraki and they love her and they don't care about you so that's great and then jorah follows her orders i follow the orders of the khaleesi and there's that great and the scene ends with the uh the guy who's her guard uh her like horse guard guy say uh 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 uh, you walk and they make make viserys walk the rest of the way to to uh the dothraki capital my entire notes good go ahead they're sprinkling angry payoffs for how much we hate her brother this yeah. early on, and it's so, so satisfying. Well, he's not like Joffrey, though. He gets his comeuppance every time. Mm-hmm. My entire notes on this scene are, quote, not a queen, a Khaleesi, unquote. Gonna get some enemies that way, huh? Oh, just Viserys, apparently. What a drip. <laughs> like, although he's attacking her, and they're just gonna do this every episode for a bit, he's not a threat at all. 
and he gets smacked down over and over again. Yeah. What a dummy. Yeah, it's great. It's great. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I really do love it that he... Because the whole story of Viserys is that he thinks he he is... I mean, he's he's like the just definition of born on third base and thinks he hit a triple yeah like this he, is my army yeah he he owns the army that he doesn't own he is the rightful king of westeros even though he's not um you know he just he thinks everything is owed to him and he's wrong and his strategies are bad and he has just sort of unlocked uh his sister who might otherwise have been more loyal to him but he he completely burned that bridge by selling her off to the dothraki right and she's instead kind of like oh i have power now uh which is very very interesting she is pregnant um her her uh, associate uh grabs her boobs and is like you are having a baby and she's like okay um she's learning dothraki though which is good because later we're gonna you know she's gonna pick it up so she's learning dothraki now so she can speak it later um there is a nice scene also here where the Daenerys's horse guard and Jorah are talking about like armor and the curved blades versus the swords and all of that, which I really enjoyed. And he's like, he's teaching him common language, non Dothraki language in return. And Jorah says that he betrayed his father who is of great honor. There's sort of Jorah's sad backstory of why he's on the, on the run and exiled. Um, and they kind of talk about whether speed or strength is a better combat technique. Yeah, he, yeah, because the Dothraki's kind of like, Ar- armor is stupid. It makes you slow. And he's like, yeah, but th- yeah. They can also they, alive. And, it's hard to and stab I think, you. So. I think that's important because it establishes that everybody over in Westeros is 100% in on the plate armor and swinging a giant two-handed sword, mm-hmm. which is the justification a few years later for Arya being able to fight so efficiently because she is using a nimble stabbing technique technique which right. they are just not prepared for exactly this is the dance of bravos not westeros yeah mm-hmm. yeah then in clash of cultures and and i think it goes to the idea that if this if the if this army the horse army were, were to be taken to uh to westeros which it is later that they would be they would have some advantages over armies that were not constructed they are a weapon essentially that is not using the style of def- it can't be defended by the traditional style of defense and so so it's potentially a wild card because it's not um, what they're used to defending in Westeros. So that's kind of in- intriguing and we'll hang out there for like six years before it becomes relevant again. Um, <laughs> there's one last scene here, which is Daenerys and Drogo together. Um, but the best thing about that scene is that there's once again a very long lingering pan over some dragon eggs before we get to their, their <laughs> naked bodies. So, Hey, do you think the uh, dragon eggs are important, Jason? No, probably not. Probably not. They built the prop. They need to use it. And and in general, I think this is a really good episode, but it's it's super dense. I, I think this is if if you know if if they had to do it all over again, could this have become like two episodes and just gotten pulled apart? It might have been it might have been helpful just to let it breathe a little bit. But there, I think the, it's entertaining, and and it is the, by Benioff and Weiss. And I wanted to say that it feels kind of like like they're doing a lot of work here it's like an extra pilot episode almost where it's like we need okay we got more characters we need to introduce you to and we need Mm -hmm. to give you some more background like maybe even based on looking at the pilot or the first two episodes and being like okay we need to establish some other stuff now because that's they're doing a lot of hard work here i like the pacing of the first season in that they kill ned off before the season finale Mm -hmm. like if he dies in the season finale that's one thing but him dying before that is what really shocks people so 
In episode nine. This was, bef- right. this was before they had the confidence to say, we're just going to do an hour, 45 minute episodes. Yeah. So they had to squeeze things in a bit. Yeah. And it mm-hmm. is a full hour, um, which is which is a little bit more than the, I think the other episodes of the season are, or at least this early in the season. Um, yeah. Brian, what'd you think overall of this one? Uh, I, I'm still savor. I, I I've said before. I'll say it again. Season one is my favorite season because of how tight it is. I I think yeah. that the way that you two are saying this is a dense episode and there's a lot going on. I see that as like really deft information dumps that make this season overall so much more enjoyable to me than let's check over here let's check over here let's check over here and we're starting to get that right we still get the wall we still have uh across the narrow sea i think this early on in the show the wall may as well be winterfell because most of this the characters that were there were at winterfell already so it just kind of it's another desaturated cold locale this early on that it's it may as well be interchangeable with winterfell so everything feels so much more confined and streamlined and easy to understand as opposed to later when you don't understand where characters are why things are happening how people are getting back and forth and all the different plots that are happening all across the world so i i love this episode because it has everything i love about season one monty um i am going to it takes a couple more episodes before i think i'm really into this season there's everything is so they're introducing so many people like for most shows you can say all right pilot episode we introduce the main characters but this show has a hundred main characters so this is episode three but we just introduced huge locations like the wall and we this is when we first start to dig it into king's landing so i think it's good introduction of people but i get a patient for more stuff like i want i don't want little finger and varus just to be introduced i want to have the scenes of them talking to each other and it takes a little bit to get there mm. yeah that's true there's a lot here a lot of a lot of laying track as as Monty said by the way the uh, title of your recap for television without pity back in the day was you need me on that wall ah, to see, it's a- urinate apparently yeah, it's a reference. Mm-hmm. It counts as humor. I got it. Yeah, that's <laughs> that is humor. What is humor but references? Said Dennis Miller at some point, probably. Anyway, uh, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Game of Thrones Flashcast. We'll be back next week. And guess what, people? Guess what, Sherlock? We're going to be talking about season one, episode four. Yeah, it's true. It's what? True. So come back of then. Sherlock? And we'll be up Sherlock. Yeah, that's it. Uh, and we will be joined uh, not by Brian, but by a special guest. So get ready for that next time. But until then, uh, I have been Jason Snell. And thank you to Monty and Brian. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye, everybody.